Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to church today. Uh, we're so happy that you're here today. Uh, Pastor Dave is away in Argentina, so I will be speaking today. And if you're new or visiting, we've been in a sermon series uh, through the Book of Psalms titled Reconnecting with God. And so I'm just going to continue that sermon series today. And the passage we're going to be looking at is Psalm 42. So if you have your Bibles, can you find uh, Psalm 42 or... Um, if you have your phones, please tap there, um, and I'll read that for us. So Psalm 42, and if I haven't introduced myself yet, my name is Andre, and I am the college pastor here, and so nice to meet everybody. Psalm 42, verse 1, it goes like this. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The topic that I'm talking about today in Psalm 42 is spiritual dryness. That's what we're looking at today. And I, th I think those two words, spiritual dryness, without me even having to explain what that means, you probably already resonate with that phrase. And you probably resonate because you either felt this for yourself, and when I say spiritual dryness, a feeling comes to your mind, or maybe you've heard it said recently. Community groups started, so maybe as you guys are start, your group started talking about how your week was, what's going on, one by one, people start to say, for me, I feel spiritually dry right now. I don't feel God. I don't know where God is. I don't know what he's doing. That's kind of how I feel right now. And because you said that, everyone else next to you starts begin to be vulnerable and they all start to say, me too. I feel spiritually dry too. And so you've, maybe you've heard people talk about it or maybe it was your experience coming to church today. Maybe this week you tried to read his word and you hear about how good it is, but you don't see how good it is. You read it, but it's not touching you. Or maybe you try to pray because something is going on in your life, but you feel like your prayers are bouncing off of the ceiling and it's never actually reaching the ears of God. Or maybe you came to church today and they, the worship team led us into that third song. Did anybody see Pastor Doug? Yes, our God reigns. Um, and you just see everybody passionate in worship and you're just like, whoa, they actually believe this. But how come I don't? 
It seems like people are really feeling worship today, but how come I'm not feeling the same thing? Why does their spiritual life look so vibrant and why does mine look so dry? And if this is you, you're not alone. Uh, You know, throughout the Christian faith, there's been a lot of different ways we've kind of coined and and named this condition. If you're familiar with Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he did a series of sermons in the 1960s, and he, he talks about spiritual dryness, but he calls it spiritual darkness. Or if 16th century Spanish theologians are your thing, there's a guy by the name of St. John of the Cross who wrote a book on prayer called The Dark Night of the Soul. I remember reading about this in seminary and thinking that would have been an amazing title for another Christopher Nolan film. <laughs> the Dark Night of the Soul. So Batman. But regardless of what it's called, the idea behind spiritual depression, the dark night of the soul, or our phrase spiritual dryness is all the same. It's a season of a Christian's life when their experiences of God feel more like absence than it feels like presence. You can, kind of, you can probably resonate with what I'm saying. When the felt presence of God was a faint memory of the past rather than a reality of the present and a season where you feel that your prayers are more filled with where are you, God, more than ever before. And the thing about this condition is that nobody is immune to it. You could be a follower of Jesus for 40 years. You could be a follower of Jesus for four weeks. If you're following Jesus, you will come to a point where you do experience this. And if you've been following Jesus for a really long time, you may even experience it more than once. And so this is why we're talking about it. Because we all have experienced it. We know of someone who did, or we will. And as a church, we want to make sure our community is prepared for this. We know how to identify it and we know what to do when we're in it. And that's exactly what Psalm 42 does. It teaches us three things, what it feels like, why we experience it, and how to hope our way through it. What it is, why we experience it, and how to hope our way through it. Take a look at verses one to two with me. The psalmist talks about what he's feeling. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for the living God, for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Three times in these two verses, the psalmist is talking about how much he thirsts. He says, as a deer pants, so pants my soul. My soul thirsts. So the imagery here that the author is trying to get us to see is of a panting deer, of a parched deer who's in the desert and he's looking for sources of water to drink from. And the moment he sees what looks like a flowing river, he bends his neck forward to drink. And as soon as he does, what does he find? He finds that the river is bone dry. There's nothing there. And the reason the psalmist gives us this image, because he's trying to tell you and me, that deer is me. I feel like this deer. And my rivers of flowing streams is God that I used to drink from. But right now, I don't know where he is. I go to the things that I used to go to to drink from him, but it's dry. And then he emphasizes this point in verse two again at the end when he says, when shall I come and appear before God? That's actually better translated. When shall I come and see God's face? That's what he's saying. So what he's telling you and me is, it's been a while since I saw God's face. 
It's been a while since I connected with God. It's been a while since there was actually something real in my heart when I thought of God that I connected with. And that's what I'm yearning for. That's what I'm thirsting for. That's what I'm thirsting for. And then in verse four, it's as if he gives us a flashback of what his relationship used to be like. In verse four, this is what he says. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. He's saying, I remember when I would come to church and I experienced what it was like for heaven to meet earth. I remember it. I remember what it was like hearing the voice of my friends as we sang and actually feeling like we were going somewhere with God and it was resonating. I remember when I would read scripture and I would pray and it took me into the heart of God. And I remember how refreshing and life-giving community was to me. But right now, all of that has gone dry. And so like the psalmist, you know you're in a season of spiritual dryness when you go to those same exact rivers like worship, like scripture, like prayer, like community, and they remind you more of God's absence than they do of his presence. And because of it, you find it difficult to hope in him again. You find it difficult to trust him again because it didn't work for you. So why should I keep going to something that's not working? And that's how we feel in our spiritual dryness. And so, and then we read like a verse, like verse nine, and that ancient prayer, the psalmist prays, I, I pray to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? We're like, yeah, that makes sense. We read passages like Jesus loves you. We're like, that's foreign to me. Why have you forgotten me? I get that. That makes total sense. So if you're here and this is how your relationship with God has been, first, I just want to say, I'm so happy you're here. But number two, I want to encourage you that what you're feeling might actually not be a bad thing. It might actually be really good for you that you're feeling this. And, and let me tell you why. It's one thing to thirst for God. It's a whole nother thing to have no thirst at all. Two different things. It's one thing to be spiritually dry. It's a whole nother thing to be spiritually dead. The fact that you're thirsting means there's something within you that needs to connect with God again. And that desire is a good thing. That desire is something that no man can conjure up for ourselves. That's only a desire that God can place within your hearts. And because he put that there, we begin to long for him. So if we have no desire for God, if there's no thirst for him in our hearts, no desire to want to obey him, to want to be with him, I don't think you're experiencing spiritual dryness. You could be experiencing spiritual deadness. But if there is a longing in your heart and you want to be with him again, there's a good chance you're experiencing spiritual dryness. And that's the Bible's language, not mine. Please don't get mad with me. The Bible said it. And so the psalmist's spiritual dryness on one hand could be seen as a negative thing, but actually we're gonna see that it's a really good thing. Did you notice in verse nine, right before the psalmist says, why have you forgotten me what he calls God? Right when he says, why have you forgotten me? He also refers to him as my rock. This phrase, my rock, is something that throughout the Bible symbolizes a declaration of trust. It symbolizes God's steadfastness, his reliability, him being an anchor and a foundation. 
But furthermore, the psalmist in verses 5 to 11 also referred to God as my salvation and my God. These titles, my rock, my salvation, my God, I don't know about you, but these are not words you hear come out, come out of the mouth of atheists. They don't come out of the mouth of agnostics. They don't come out of the mouth of followers of other religions. Who's, who can say to God, my rock, my salvation, my God? It's only the Christian who places their trust in him. What Psalm 42 is telling you and me, what it's teaching us is that real Christians, true believers who have the Holy Spirit residing inside of them can experience spiritual dryness. So don't lose heart if that's what you're feeling here today. So then why do we experience this? This is the second point. Why do we experience something like this? Why does God allow this? What is the purpose for this? And here's why. Because in our spiritual drought, God is teaching us how to walk by faith and not by feelings. That's where he's getting at. We all know there comes a point in a Christian's life when we're trying to mature, we can no longer rely on feelings. That's what marriage is, right, married folks? It's not relying on feelings. It's relying on a commitment, on a covenant that has been made between you and your partner. The same goes with God. If we're trying to mature towards um, a mature relationship with him, we can no longer rely on our feelings because feelings fade, feelings flee, but faith remains forever. And that's where God is taking us. And that's what we see God doing in the psalmist here. God is so committed to, to producing spiritual adults that he will use even things like spiritual dryness to take us there. When you look throughout you know, Psalm 42, uh, usually, when, actually, when you read other psalms like this, where the psalmist is vocalizing, I feel far from you, God, I don't sense you, God, uh, it, it's usually because of two reasons. It's either because of a sin that was committed. Go back to Psalm 51, David's sin. He's saying, God, don't cast your presence away from me. But not only is it sin, but it's also because of um, like kind of like an external suffering and, and somebody chasing down the psalmist's life where he's removed from the presence of God and he's like, God, I just want to drink from you all over again, right? So it's, it's either sin, wrongdoing, or it's external suffering and physical harm. But when you read Psalm 42, those two things are missing here. When you read it, there's no tone of guilt, the author is not saying, forgive me for my sins. The author is not saying, let me prepare a sacrifice for you. So it's not sin why he's in this situation. It's also not physical harm. He's not saying, God, save me from my oppressors. Save me from the people who's trying to destroy my life. He doesn't say that. You do see, though, that there is somebody called an enemy here, right? There are people here who are called enemies, but they're not, they're not causing any physical harm in his life. All that they're doing is talking and taunting and reminding him of the absence of God. They're emotionally getting into him. They're mentally getting into him, but there's no physical harm. They're just keep repeating, where is your God? And let me just give a very quick side note here. The Bible does give many reasons elsewhere as to why someone can experience spiritual dryness. Gives a it's a whole lot of reasons. Sin may not be the issue in our psalm, but there are other passages where sin is the issue. And if the reason you're experiencing spiritual dryness is because of persistent sin, that's something we're gonna have to be aware about. 
Or maybe it's, it could be because you feel like your faith, you can do it without community. You feel like you can do faith on your own. So you go on this journey solo, but then you burn out. Maybe that's why you're experiencing spiritual dryness. Or I think what, honestly, my personal favorite is living in Bergen County in this hustle culture. In this hustle culture. I think we're simply just too busy too distracted and too tired to even think about God in such a way that it, re- it requires deep contemplation and thought. I think that that's pretty, would be pretty applicable. So we're just not thinking about God. That's why we're dry. We're not chewing on him. We're not meditating on him. So what's the reason here if all of those reasons are not the reason here? The reason is because the psalmist is in a situation where walking by faith is really hard and he'd rather walk by feelings. Take a look at verse six. The psalmist says, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mizar. What's happening right now in verse six is the psalmist is telling us where he is. He's saying, I'm on a mountain in the land of Hermon. And right now, what I feel is I feel very far from God. What's the tension that's faith versus feelings in his life is, I know I'm supposed to believe God is here. Don't feel it though. So that must mean he's not here. That's the tension that he's, reeling, his, that he's wrestling with. And God wants to reverse engineer that tension. Remember that in an ancient Jewish thought, that in order for you to be close to the presence of God, it required you to be close to the house of God in Jerusalem. So imagine you're a block away from the house of God, walking distance. That, you know, technically means that you're walking distance away from God. You're pretty close. But let's say you you walk down the street. Now you have to drive 10 minutes to get to God. You're 10 minutes away from God. But let's say now you're like the psalmist where you're not a block away. You're not 10 minute drive away. You're 200 miles away. Mount Mazar in the land of Hermon, Hermon in the land of Judah is 200 miles north from Jerusalem. But not only is he 200 miles away, the psalmist goes as far to say, I'm on a mountain. Talk about isolation. So he's on a mountain 200 miles away. He's like, that distance from me and the house of God, that's how far I am away from God. I'm 200 miles away from God. We have college students who go to school in Boston and they get homesick in a world where there's cars and planes. So for this psalmist to be homesick is because he knows that there may be a chance that he's never gonna come back. It's different, it's deep. And to make things worse, not only does this new home address remind him that he's far from God, but in this new city, in the place where he lives, there's these enemies in verse 10 that are are saying, as with the deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Like Tim shared, baby shark gets stuck in his head. The psalmist is saying, where is your God is getting stuck in my head? on repeat, where is your God? Because clearly he's not here. What are you feeling? God's absence? Yeah, it must be real. God is not close to you. You haven't spent time with him. You don't even know him. He's not near you at all. And this is going on repeat and repeat and repeat. And the taunts are beginning to get into his head and his heart. The psalmist said, it feels like deadly wounds in my bones. 
But remember, these enemies are not physically harming him. They're not piercing him. They're not stabbing him. They're not beating him. What's happening is that the words of his enemies are so sharp and they're penetrating his heart so deep, it feels like his bones are breaking. His emotional, spiritual distress and despair feels so real, it's beginning to affect him physically. How how much of that resonates with you? How much of that, you're just like, I get what that feels like. How many of us know that when seasons of anxiety and depression, we know what it feels like to literally be bedridden and powerless? How many of us know that when our thoughts are racing at a million miles per hour, that we can't even find the strength to eat? And how, much of, how many of us know what it feels like to be helpless where all you can do is just cry? As a college pastor, I, I counsel a ton of college students. And yeah, the thing we talk about the most is anxiety, depression, and mental health. And oftentimes they tell me that when they're wrestling with this and they would talk to their parents or people that usually the stuff that they hear, especially if they come from traditional Christian backgrounds, oh, you know why you're anxious? Because you're not praying enough. You know why you're depressed? You don't believe in God's word. You need to pray more. You need to read more. You need to go to church more. You need to do more Bible studies. But how many of us who wrestled with this, we know that if someone has a broken arm, you're not going to go up to them. What's wrong with you? Snap it back together. Put that back together. What's wrong with you? But for us who wrestle with this real, real thing, wrestling with mental health is like an actual broken arm. And it takes time to heal. It takes intimacy to heal. It takes patience to heal. And this psalmist is saying, that's how I feel. And these aren't the only feelings we associate ourselves with, but there are so many more that derive from the insecurity of our identity and we begin to believe in that. We doubt our self-worth and then we, be, we begin to believe in that. We believe we're not beautiful and we, be, we begin to believe in that. We're not powerful and no one's gonna respect me. And the list goes on and on and on. And what happens? These things begin to define us. We begin to be shaped by this. We begin to live our lives by this. And we actually begin to look like this. In verse five, the psalmist says, oh, my soul, why are you so cast down? Do you guys, have you guys seen the movie Soul? Uh, Pixar film, right? You know that one scene where they're all on that boat and they're in like this underground place and it's dark, it's gloomy, and all you see are cast down souls. I think it's called like the field of lost hopes and dreams or something like that, right? I don't know about you, that ministered to my heart watching that scene. That's how the psalmist feels. The psalmist saying, I'm literally cast down. It's not an emotional thing. It's a physical thing. That if he were to walk into the sanctuary, we would all see him walk in here like this. Just cast down, heavy shoulders, head down. And what the psalmist is wrestling with is, I know I'm not supposed to feel this way, but what can I do about it when everything around me is telling me that's how you're supposed to feel? What the psalmist What God begins to do in the psalmist, he begins to say to him, hey, start to raise your head. Start to lift your shoulders. Start to look to me. And the question the psalm is asking you and me is, what feelings, what griefs, and what sorrows have become your reality that you are both literally and figuratively cast down? 
what has become your reality? And please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying to brainwash yourself into saying what you're feeling is not real. Clearly not what I'm saying after the illustration I just gave. But what I am saying is that as a Christian, you have the power because Christ, the hope of glory lives in you. You have the power to be able to tell your heart what to believe. You might not be able to do anything about how you feel, but you can do something about what those feelings do to you. You can tell your heart that this is not the truest things about me, but there is a truth that is more real than what I feel, and that truth is what we know about God. And that's our journey towards walking by faith and not by feelings. So whatever that thought is that popped into your head that is causing you to be spiritually dry, cast down, feeling like God has left you, that's the thing God says, I want that. I need that. That's what you have to bring to me. Look how the psalmist begins to abandon walking by feelings and he begins to walk by faith. Look at verse eight. This is what he says. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love and that night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Let me read that again because it's just so good. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love and that night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I wish that we had like a modern day mixtape of these Psalms in like music form, because I guarantee you it would win a Grammy. I guarantee you the, the way the lyric, cho- the psalmist chooses words, formulates ideas, it has a way of speaking to our hearts, does it not? That phrase that he uses, steadfast love in the Hebrew is chesed. So class, can you say chesed with me real quick? Chesed. Well done. You know Hebrew. That word hased in Hebrew is a word that means God's unwavering, unchanging, covenantal love in his presence. It's a word that carries Israel's history. It's a word that carries promise where God said to his people, I will be your God. You will be my people. I will never leave you or forsake you. That's the meaning of that word. And the fact that the psalmist uses that word, this theologically rich word, is how you know he's saying, I'm not going to be defined by my feelings. I'm going to walk by faith. When the psalmist feels like God is gone, people are reminding him God is gone, there's no hope for his spiritual dryness, he doesn't go to the rivers of the world and begin to fill himself up. He doesn't run to the rivers of pop culture. He doesn't run to the rivers of substance of alcohol, sex, you name it. He doesn't do that. What does he do? He injects into his heart a dose of covenantal theology. That's what he does. He reminds his heart of robust Christian doctrine. And he says, oh, my soul, remember that he's with you, regardless of what you feel. He's saying in the morning when he wakes up and he's on Mount Mazar, he looks out at the vast land and the house of God is not in sight. He says he reminds himself of God's said love as he's going to bed at night. And when the night begins to get really, really dark and it feels like the dark night of the soul, he puts his gospel AirPods in, turns on noise canceling to drown out the voices of the enemies and just begins to listen to the song of God's said love on repeat 
until he goes to sleep. On repeat, he's with me, he's with me, he's with me. His song, he is singing over me, over me, over me. And he does this. It doesn't look like an image of victory, I know. It kind of looks sad. But that's what walking by faith kind of means. That even though nothing about your circumstances may be changing, you have this conviction in your heart that God is with me. And that makes you robust and steadfast in any situation. Don't you want that? Isn't that what we're striving for in our, in our jobs? Isn't that what we're striving for in our marriages? To be strong, rooted, grounded, unbeatable? How is that working out for you? Are you less anxious? Are you more confident? Do you have a piece of your heart? Do you feel like you have everything you want? Or is there a lack? My synopsis on that, I don't think it's working. What would it look like for you to place your heart in someone that can do something about it to protect your soul? That's what the psalmist does. So what do you do? What do you do when you feel spiritually dry and God's absence is louder than ever. I have two applications for us that I want to talk about. This is how we hope our way through it. Number one, pour out your soul to God. Pour out your soul to God. I got this from verse four. The psalmist says, these are the things that I remember as I pour out my soul. Psalm 42 is known as a lament psalm. And there are a ton of these in the book of Psalms, but what lament Psalms, the purpose of them is are to provide you prayers meant to console and to provide you language for the cry of anguish in your heart. And these prayers of lament and anguish are directed to God because God is the only one who, who can do something about it. And so you're directing that to him and because God knows that these, this is not the way things are meant to be. So you're lamenting, but you're not sitting in your anguish. You're sending them to God. You're saying, this is how I feel. This is what is, is making my heart sorrowful. This is what's grieving my heart. And you pour out your soul. And all of Psalm 42 is him pouring out his soul. These are the type of prayers you would never pray in church. Nobody would ever come up here in public prayer and say, God, where the hell are you? Where are you in my life? I don't feel you. I don't see you. But that's what the psalmist is doing. He's coming before God, unfiltered, raw, honest. He's saying, God, I thirst for you. He literally says to him, why have you forgotten me? How come, how come you're hiding yourself from me? How come you don't love me? He's pouring out his soul. And what that means is you can pour out your soul too. You can come before God and you can say, God, I don't feel you right now. I'm doing everything that you're telling me to do. I'm doing everything Pastor Dave, Pastor Doug is telling me to do. It's not working. What's going on? Are you broken, God? Did you know you can even tell God about his absence? You can tell that to him. You can tell him that you feel like he forgot you. You can pour out your soul. And the thing about pouring out your soul is you don't have to pray your Christianese prayers. We're so good at praying, Lord, thank you so much for being with me, right? We're so good at praying these kind of prayers. But you don't have to pray. You can be honest with yourself. You know, you know one of the reasons why I think some of our prayer lives are so dry is because we're never honest with God. 
You're just praying the same prayer every single day. That's why it's dry. God's a real person with a real will, with a real heart, and he knows your situation. You can be honest with him. He's a real person. We're not following an idea. We're following a person. So you can be real with him. And did you know even Jesus poured out his heart before God? Did you know that? Did you know Jesus actually said to God, why have you forgotten me when he was on the cross? Looked at God, you forsook me, God, where are you? Did you know that on the cross, he even said, God, I'm dry. I am spiritually dry. I thirst. He poured out his soul before God. But not only did he pour it out before God, did you know he also poured it out before his friends? In the garden of Gethsemane, he said to his disciples, can you pray for me? I have nothing left. Can you pray for me? Jesus didn't just pour out his heart before God. He also poured it out before his friends. And that's something we need to do too. You know, the thing about community groups, it's an amazing time for you to be covered. It's an amazing time for you to experience God's covering over you. But the thing is, whatever you put in, that's what you're going to get out. So if you put in like half attendance, you're going to get half attendance worth out. If you put in, if you're only going to show half of yourself, people are only going to cover you 50%. That's why you're going to leave CGs. That eh, wasn't really that great. Did you try? What you put yourself into CG, that's what you're going to get out of it. And if you bring your unfiltered, broken, honest self, you're going to experience healing, comf- comfort, peace, protection. That's what's going to happen. So I want to encourage you this week, Bring your honest and your broken self because your CG members, they need that too. So pour out your soul. But lastly, preach the gospel to yourself. This is when you become preachers, friends. Look at verses five and 11. Two times in this psalm, the psalmist stops listening to himself and he begins preaching to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. In this moment, the psalmist became the preacher. His soul became the audience and hope became his message. He took the time to take his soul out and he said, shut up, stop talking, listen to me. Stop screaming about God's absence. Stop screaming that I'm alone and nobody gets me and I'm despair. Stop. Let me tell you something about my God. So he listens to it. He speaks to it. He asks it a question. Why are you so hopeless? Why are you in so so much despair? Why do you have such little faith? And then guess what he does? He begins with confidence. He tells his tired, cast down, thirsting soul, put your hope back in God. And we need to do this too. You have to preach to your soul. You know, guys, preaching is really hard. Trust me, it is so hard. Like my wife knows it more than anything. I'm sensey, okay, when I have to preach, okay? It's hard, okay? It's so hard because it takes a lot of thought, it takes a lot of listening, and it takes a lot of prayer. 
And this is the type of intentionality we have to practice when it comes to reminding ourselves of the gospel. You know, when I, when I try to use examples like soul, funny gestures that probably don't work, and other things to connect the gospel to you, that's the same level of intensity and intentionality we have to take for the gospel to get into our hearts. We have to remind our souls of Jesus and how intimately he is with us in our lives. We have to think about him deeply. We have to wrestle with him deeply. And we have to let this truth hit us. And that's why when you read a passage like Psalm 42, we have to see Jesus in this psalm. That when the psalmist says, I thirst, you're like, my Jesus thirsted too on the cross. When you, read, when you read the psalmist saying, why have you forgotten me? You say, my Jesus also said that on the cross when he said, why have you forsaken me? When you see enemies taunting the psalmist, you look at saying, you say, wait, Jesus wrestled with that too. As he was crucified, the Roman soldiers gathered around him, taunting him saying, where is your God? We have to think about Jesus and see Jesus and then bring that into our house, into ourselves. And then we have to see now, Jesus, why did you go through all of that? Why did you have to experience God's abandonment? Why did you have to experience thirst? Why, why, for what reason? And what the gospel tells you and me is that Jesus had to become completely, utterly spiritually dry so that we would never have to be. That on the cross, God had to turn his face away from Jesus so that when we approach God, we would know, God, you will never turn your face away from me. But you're looking straight at me, and you know. So that God would secure that, so that you never have to doubt your position with God. So that in your spiritual dryness, you never have to feel that God left you. But God is just one prayer away, and you can come before him, and you can say, God, I'm thirsty. Can you satisfy me? because I believe you can. And what's going to happen is when you begin to internalize this and when you begin to accept this for yourself, you're going to realize there's like a spring of water that begins to well in your heart. You're not going to look for your circumstances to change. You're going to begin to feel something within you because Jesus says in John 7, 38, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Your thirst that you had is going to change from, God, I feel like I'm dying and I'm going to dehydrate, and it's going to change to, God, I've tasted and seen how good you are and I need more. That's how your thirst is going to change. You're just going to want more of him because you can't get enough and because nothing in this world can satisfy. So friends, if you came here and you feel spiritually dry, let that be a sign of God saying, yeah, let me, let me quench your thirst. I'm right here. I'm with you, I know you, and pour out your soul, pour it out here in prayer, in worship when we sing in a few seconds, pour it out in CGs, preach the gospel to yourself, stop listening to yourself, okay? Who, like every bad idea you had, whose fault was that? Probably listen to ourselves. Stop listening to ourselves, remind yourself of the gospel, and then begin to preach the gospel to each other. And we will become a community that, is in, that embodies living water. Let's pray.